This is the Identity Shockwave podcast, where we explore the journey of self-discovery and the many layers of who we are as we ride this wave called life. Four questions, real people, endless exploration. I'm your host, Lori Vaitzig. Hey, you made it. Welcome to the Identity Shockwave podcast, where we explore all things identity and self-discovery. My name is Lori, and I'm so stoked that you're here. And if this is your first time here, first of all, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Love this for you. And you may have heard me at the top mention that I ask our guests for questions. So I figured, why not lay those out so you know what to listen for during each episode, huh? All right. So the first thing I ask is, if they could boil it down to a few words, how would they describe themselves or how would they introduce themselves and what's their elevator pitch? Then the next question I get into is, have you ever felt like a fraud or had imposter syndrome? What parts of your identity make you proud and which have you struggled with the most? And then lastly, was there ever a decision that you made that changed the trajectory of your life? And I really thought about these questions because I figured that they would really spark conversation, get the juices flowing and really get down to, you know, brass tacks, what it means to be yourself what it means to identify yourself. What was that journey like for you to get to that point? And obviously, there's more questions that happen during the show. So but those are the four foundational ones that I like to lay out so that, you know, it gets the conversation going. So mystery solved. Now you know what to listen for. So on today's show, have you ever had one of those friendships that's purely unconditional? Feels like it's written in the stars? You might hear people say, oh, they're like a sister to me. But I don't buy that because sisters and siblings, that's such a different type of relationship. No, this is a frond to the aunt. And you'd only get that if you watch Broad City. Anyways, this is someone I became an adult with, spent nearly every day for 10 years with. The friend that drove me across the country to live in California. The type of friend that... Sure, you may drift apart in ways, but no matter what, you're always there for, and they'll always be there for you too. And this friend of mine has really made a name for herself and has worked so hard to get to this point, and I'm so proud of them. And she has a really cool story, so I'm really excited that I get to share this special person of mine with you today. We talk about what it's like to be Italian-American in New York, because it's a whole thing. Uh, we talk about her queerness and what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Also, I kind of go off the deep end and give you a little history on Italian immigration in the late 1800s, so just, just go with it, okay? Great. So I'm so pleased to introduce you to them today. Please welcome Alana Lucia. Alana Lucia, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yay! I'm so excited to talk to you today. And for the audience listening, I have been in love with Alana for the past 20 years. <laughs> and we know so much about each other. We probably know each other like the back of our hands. But I'm excited to have this conversation so you all can learn about how wonderful she is. Well, thank you. <laughs> so if you could boil it down to a couple words, how do you introduce yourself? Do you have an elevator pitch? Um, how do I, how would I introduce myself? I mean, I liked thinking about it. I like to think about it. Like, I think you put it 
a couple words to describe myself or a few words to describe myself. Mm-hmm. I immediately, I was like Italian American. Yes. <laughs> that was just like right off the bat. That's like how I see myself. It's deeply ingrained in how I identify um, and all the craziness and cultural things that are attached to that. Um, <laughs> probably the next thing I'd say is queer, um, queer person, um, a queer woman. Um, also under that umbrella, I'd say gay, lesbian, bi, pan, all of the above. And then I identify also, I'd say as a, as an entrepreneur and as a barber and a student. I love that. What are you studying right now? If you want to share, can share. Yeah, I'm, I'm in school for acupuncture. Oh, that's cool. And how did you come about with your business? Can you tell us a little bit more about your business? Yeah, so I, um, so I've always wanted to open a store of some kind, a shop of some kind. My great uncle, he was a pizza, a pizza shop owner, and I even had my eleventh birthday party at his pizza pizza shop. He owned a pizza place, and I wanted to work there. And eventually, it just kind of, I got into hair because that's a whole another story. But <laughs> yeah, eventually, I realized the place I wanted to open was a salon. And it took many, many years to do that. So I needed to apprentice and my, cause my dad has said to me, you can't like, if you're, if you want to open a restaurant, you need to know how to cook. So he Makes was sense. like, if you want to open a salon, you need to know how to cut hair. So I had kind of a long journey, apprenticeships, working on the floor. And then finally um, was able to open up my first barbershop um, seven years ago. What's the name of your barbershop? That's called Baddies. And where is it? <laughs> um, Baddies is in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Awesome. And I got to see it for the first time, and it is beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. They use amazing products, and it's an inclusive space as well. And I feel like that's a big part of your uh, mission with this uh, with this barbershop as well. Yeah, absolutely. At the time that I was doing hair and I moved from salon life to barbershop life in both circumstances, there just wasn't a feeling of inclusivity. It was, it just felt like gender and the gender expanse, people's expansive genders were not being recognized inside of those spaces. So I decided that that would be kind of my niche market. You know, as a cis woman, when I used to have an undercut, I would go into men's barber shops just to be like, it's going to take like two minutes. They can just like clean me up. I can be in and out. There was one time it was so awkward. I believe it was in Highland Park when I was out here and I go in and there is a line of people. So I'm like, all right. And like, I kind of like I was there. I was like, all right, I'm here. I sat down. I'm committed to this. I waited a fucking hour and I felt so awkward being there. And it felt like the energy in the room was very much that they're like, there's a woman in here. We don't know why. And, you know, there's lots of locker room talk and things like that. in you know, your traditional barber shops. And it was just the most awkward experience of my life. It was just not, not cool. So like, it's really, really beautiful that you've cultivated the space for everyone. It's really for everyone. It is. Yeah. We definitely don't try. We definitely try to not make cis straight people uncomfortable either. You know, we don't want that. We don't want to just flop it the other way and then have some people feel good and some people not. I really just want it to feel 
truly inclusive. And I mean, you just said it yourself. You said that was one of the most awkward experience of your life. Like, wow. I mean, what a necessity to be able to provide a, a space that, you know, we don't really call it a safe space. I don't know if any space these days can actually, but I like to say safer space. And just, I, I just do think that when people come in there, um, they feel seen and like they can just be authentic and ask for what they want. You know, I mean, some people come in looking one way and leaving looking completely different and that's not easy. It's not easy to see yourself differently and it's not easy to know that the world is about to see you differently. So um, yeah, I just, it was very important to me. Now there's a lot more options. Like seven years ago, it was, there were not many, but now it's, luckily it's been more common, at least in Brooklyn, for people to have multiple places to go to get their hair cut and feel, feel comfortable. That's great. Yeah. And some of the, the looks, as people say, that you and your team bust out, you can see on their Instagram, it's the coolest. And you said authenticity, like the coolest, most authentic looks. And you can tell, you can tell through a photo, you can tell how confident your clients feel after they get, you know, this cut to just feel good in their bodies. And I think that's just so important this day and age. Yeah, it is a huge part of, of how we walk through the world. Like if I have a bad hair day, I mean, forget it. I, I just do not feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's tied so much into confidence. Remember that life-changing haircut you gave me? Uh, yes. City <laughs> scissors in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. This was pre-beauty school, right? So I just had long, fluffy, shapeless hair. It was like 2004, I want to say, maybe. No, 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 no. 2007. Yeah, because... Because that's when you lived in Baldwin? Yeah, around then. And we were just you know, hanging out in Alana's bedroom. I don't know what came to me getting my hair cut if that was the the plan that night, but you cut my hair and we can say this, you know, it was kind of a scene look, you know, like I had the the shorter layers in the back and I had the swooped uh, bangs and (laughs) you, it was by accident, but you cut like a hole seemingly in the side of my hair. Like it was just not a hole, but like it was just a gap a yeah it was missing yeah, but, but, it was, but it was cool it, basically a wolf cut with your bangs to the side instead of in the middle it was a wolf cut before a wolf cut was even a thing 100 percent. a lot of those haircuts then were wolf cuts they just they we just masked it with a big side swoop <laughs> i loved my swoop but yeah once you did that i think that was the very first time you ever cut my hair i felt so good and so many of our friends and acquaintances that have you know come through your chair over the years have felt the same and i think you know you're so talented at what you do and i've seen you grow into you know now being a business owner and just expanding your business so much but along that journey, I'm sure it hasn't always felt that way. I'm sure you, you know, your confidence has, you know, went up and down. Have you ever felt like a fraud or had imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think that the time that I felt mostly like an imposter was um, when I first got into barbering from doing hair. I wouldn't say like as a business owner, I didn't feel so much because 
working in that that arena for so long, I, I did feel like I had a good understanding of what it, I kind of started small, you know, and and work my way up. So I never felt like I was doing too much. But when I went from the salon life to a barbershop, I felt like an imposter. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I remember when I first got there, my tools were like all over my station, no organization. And uh, the person who was um, kind of like test giving, like testing me to see if I was going to work at the shop, like came over and just very gently rearranged every piece of my tools. He was like, oh, let me just let me just help you out here. And one by one took all my tools and made it very beautiful and really organized. And I was like, oh my God, like, I just felt so stupid, you know, like, what am I doing? And then that first day of work, like, I just remember waking up being so nervous, walking to the barber shop. Yeah, I felt like an imposter then. That was, that was really scary. That person has such Capricorn energy, like having to have everything in place and like take over your station and do that. However, I'm sure they're only trying to show you, hey, this could be an easier way to do it. Like here are your tools to scrub this, that and the other thing. And I'm sure it helped you. Oh, yeah. No, that's I mean, I set my tools up like the way he showed me to this day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally to help me. I mean, my my shit was everywhere. And um yeah, I just, it really got me to like thinking differently and show like it humbled me and also helped me learn. Yeah. And again, me knowing your journey, I am very much empathetic when I sit in somebody's chair now, especially if it's in a salon environment. I don't go to a salon anymore. I have my girl, Julia Nita. Um, but, you know, I always feel like in salons and in, in many work environments, though, there is competition, there's cattiness, and don't even get me started on the Long Island salons because you would not believe the gossip that goes on in there, and I could not believe you lasted there for so long. Well, I was only in the Long Island salon scene for like, I guess like a year total, but yeah, I, I survived the Long Island. But then also, beauty school was like a whole other experience because you had people on your level, but I still feel like there probably was a lot of competition in that space. And you're also learning all different kinds of new things, one, to get certified, and two, just to like broaden your skill set, like when you uh, did gluing extensions on me. Yes, we, we took extra time. I thought we probably went in on like a day off and did the extension. I think so. I, I, I think it wasn't the day you were supposed to be there. And I think you're just doing it more for, for me than anything. <laughs> At least it felt that way. But Alana put these amazing, long, black, curly, wavy extensions in. And if you can remember the Alanis Morissette music video for Thank You, and she's just walking around like, naked but her hair is covering up her chest that's basically what my hair looked like it was awesome but they were gluing so they destroyed my hair and over time they would fall out and i'd just be like and I'd have a piece of hair and people would freak out because they thought like my hair was falling out oh my god yeah i definitely phoned it in towards the end because my fingers were burning off that's and right I, yeah because you had to hot you're literally hot gluing it you're hot gluing and they were like, oh, just put a little hot glue on there, wait a couple seconds, then roll it around in your fingertips. I'm like still singed from that probably. <laughs> always, whenever I'm shampooing people's hair, they always say it's too hot. And I'm like, it's because I can't feel it. Like, I can't feel how hot it is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so 
It sounds like, obviously, everyone has these experiences that help shape who you are. Were there any experiences pre-barber years, pre-baddies, that you that stick out to you about surrounding your identity? And was there ever just like an aha moment of, of like coming to a realization of like who you were or how you want to present yourself to the world? I'm thinking about when I realized I was gay. Yeah, I would say that was like... <laughs> It was it was the first time I'm not gonna say her name, even though she wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the first time I kissed. Mm-hmm. I just remember being like, this feels so much better than any kiss of anyone I've ever had, even people I was in love with. Mm-hmm. Men that I was in love with. And I was like, How is this person someone I just met like six months ago or a year ago? that I'm not dating, that I'm not in love with, how is that possible that this could feel physically better and even emotionally better than with any other man? And so that was really like, it would, that was where the aha moment came on. And I remember uh, I was taking the subway home from her house the next morning and I put on Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so cliche. And I texted Nick and Ray and I was like, me and so-and-so just made out and I'm listening to Tegan and Sarah. Ha ha ha. Just cracking up. Like I do, I do feel like that was the huge moment for me where I started living that life. I mean, people would talk about it. That remember when people suspected we were gay together? Oh yeah, forever. Because Alana and I were like, we was like peas and carrots, and we did everything together. We'd sleep in the same bed together. And your sister would walk in, just be like, uh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> yeah. And my family too, for the longest time, thought that also. Like, how come? How come two women can't be? close and embrace each other and just be best friends i don't understand why that was such a thing i don't know i remember when you came home from tour we probably didn't hang out for what was that what were you away for now looking back when you went on tour three weeks weeks? three i think it i think we only lasted three weeks (laughs) i remember you came over to my house with your red ford and you we ran into each other's arms (laughs) screamed and jumped like that's how close we still are, but that's how close we were because we were just in each other's lives so often. I mean, even after that, remember every Monday hanging out? I mean, we were Monday friends. Like I saw you, I guess once you started stop working a full-time job, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, that was like the last like year of you living in New York was every Monday hanging out. I don't remember it being Mondays. Yeah. Huh. I remember just like, coming over we hung out a lot in Williamsburg because I worked in Williamsburg at that point were you on Graham at that point yeah huh it was when I was on Graham and you were on your last leg in that apartment because you were now working in restaurants and trying to do something different yeah oh all all, all I'm saying is that we just maintain closeness like through the years I mean even to this day but again we just don't get to see each other Yeah, I'm sure everyone can relate to having that one friend that you just like eternally love and you can be, you know, miles and miles apart. You cannot talk every day, but still, it's just like we're always thinking of each other. We're always just like rooting for each other and wanting the best and missing each other. And 
you know, we've grown into our own. I'm married now. You're a business owner. And, you know, life has taken us on different paths, but we have not, I don't think we've grown apart in our mutual love and admiration for each other. I hope. No, <laughs> no I mean, not at all. And like, we're lucky enough that that's true. And also when we see each other, I know it's cliche to say, but like, not, like no time has passed, you know, it feels just get right back to it. And the other thing I want to say, not that to make this a podcast about our love for each other, <laughs> we allow each other to see like the darkest parts of each other. Like we, we like Lori is who I go to, you're who I go to when like, I am really embarrassed about something and I really need help with a situation that like, I'm not proud of, but you never have any judgment. Like I could tell you, I did something or I looked at someone's stories I shouldn't have. And you're just always like, that's cool. Like not judging me for that. Yeah. Likewise, I can go to you with anything. My most embarrassing things, my deepest, darkest thoughts and whatever, and know that it's safe. And I was thinking about this before we got on. The idea of safe space is such like a, you know, a term that is used in the woo world. and I never quite understood it um, or holding space rather. And for so many years, you held space for me. You, you continue to. But there was a time I had gotten out of a really, really bad abusive relationship in my early 20s. And you were there with me throughout that. And when I got out of that, you, you exactly what it was. You held space for me to figure out who I was, to grow, to grieve, to try new things, to fail, to succeed. And you just like stood by patiently and cheered me on. And like, there are so many times when I think back, I'm like, man, I was such a shit friend. I was such a shit bag. But, <laughs> but we were growing, you know, we were growing up. And thank you for that. Oh my gosh, of course. You know, I totally forgot about that because we were friends before you met that person mm -hmm. and then you met him and things did change. Yeah. Not between us, but between many friends. Yeah. And, you know, but then, yeah, I, 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 that's cool. I appreciate you saying that and even bringing it up. Cause yeah, I'm reminded of that time now. And of course, like I loved you so much and I knew that there was so much potential in our friendship still. And yeah, I saw so much in you too. And that person was just really horrible, horrible person. And I knew that once you were able to get out of that, that you were only going to flourish. So yeah, I was happy to hold space for the, like you to become everything that I knew that you could be. Hmm. Holding space before we knew what holding space was. Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, intuited it, I guess. Well, with all that said, what parts of your identity make you most proud and which have you struggled with the most? Um, I would say, I would say my Italian American heritage. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it, it, it's both. Like I would say, I, I mean, to say that I don't struggle with my queerness is just a lie. Like, obviously I do struggle with that and we could talk about that too, but I would say, any answer I give you, I probably have to have something to say about what's like most proud of. And I could probably say I struggle with it. But as far as like my Italian American heritage, like I just appreciate it so much. And as I get older, like I like I want to go to Italy next summer. You know, I want to really understand where I'm from. I'm 
I met two cousins of mine that I never met recently. What? And like, yeah, I know. They're my grand they're my grandma's brother's kids. Do they live in New York? Yes, one lives in the city. Get the what what how have you not what? Francis and Michael. Aw. Francis. Yeah. I have a Francis and a Michael, and they were at Greenport for my mom's birthday. Oh. And just like, I don't know, just the culture, just everything we grew up with, with food and, you know, like, I don't know, Sunday dinners, even being Catholic, like as much as that's traumatized me, like (laughs) I do keep a lot of those things close to me. I mean, I'm covered in Catholic imagery, like on, you know, tattoo wise. And um, yeah, so I really appreciate my heritage and I only want to learn more and more, but then I struggle with it because some of the things that comes with has hurt my relationship. So like, for mm-hmm. example, I get very loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a stereotype. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a stereotype, but it, there's truth in it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a thing. And then I guess that can come off as like yelling or being aggressive. And those are things I'm not proud of. And those are things that, like I said, they, they do cause me issues in my relationship because people don't like that. <laughs> Trust me, I'm right there with you. And especially being Italian-Americans in New York, you know, Italian-Americans in New York have their own freaking language, you know, words that don't make sense. Everyone's heard gabagool. But have you heard stunad? Have you heard stugats? Have you heard, you know, all these things that that just mean random things? Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but I went to Italy for my honeymoon uh, last spring and my family, uh, both sides of my family are Italian. My mother's side emigrated from Naples, which I got to visit. And my father's side emigrated from Sicily and southern Italy. Which, by the way, are two places that my grandparents are from. See, we could be cousins. That's the thing. We should do a test. We should. And I want to learn more about your family's history because there's a couple things I want to touch on. While I was in Naples, I went to the state archives there and I looked through hundreds and hundreds of pages of immigration records. And I knew when my great grandfather emigrated here, he was four years old. It was 1852. And they emigrated on boats. And if you're working class or below, you were traveling in the hull of the ship. There were no bathrooms. There were no toiletries. There were no, you know, serving food or whatever. People were just huddled together, had buckets. You know, people were getting sick. There was disease and things floating around on these ships. And it would take them two weeks to get to the United States. And thinking about my great-grandfather was... um. A four-year-old who's a toddler. Could you imagine bringing a toddler two weeks in the hull of a boat across the, you know, the world? Where I'm getting at with that, too, is that also with those immigration papers that I was looking at, they were like brittle. They were like falling apart in my hands. I did not find my grandfather's records. These were also like, there were hundreds of these. So, you know, it's very well. I, I looked through like 10 binders. Um, so many people from Naples went to New York. Like almost all of them went to New York. So they left Naples. They had no food to eat. I watched a video on YouTube that said that women would supplement flour for bread using paint chips on the wall and grinding them down to add to the flour to make more food. Yeah. I don't know the um, 
the validity of those statements, but in my research, those are the things I saw. But they had to leave a beautiful place, a beautiful place, because they couldn't sustain their life there anymore. And they traveled two weeks in the hull of a boat to another country that treated them as secondary citizens. And they only went to these places that they knew that other Italians were at. And talk about generational trauma. Like we inherited so much of that. Think about it. Like think about that that journey alone, you know, is passed down in our bloodline. And I am doing so much work on myself to break those curses, so you will. Break the generational trauma. Because, you know, our ancestors did go through so much to get here. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's true. I never really thought about, like, their journey here, you know, what that could have been like. I mean, not that I've never thought about it, but. And it's funny, too, in Naples, all the buildings, they look like the Lower East Side. It's the birthplace of pizza. Oh, Napolitana. Hey, Napolitana. Where are your ancestors from? Naples, Sicily, and Bari. Bari. My, my grandma and my grandparents are from Bari. Oh. What generation came over? Were your, your grandmother, Lucy, came? Oh, yeah, all four. My grandpa, my dad's dad, and my mom's dad, and my mom's mom all were born there. And then my dad's mom was born in New York City, but then right away moved back to Italy. So I always just say all four of them were born there. But yeah, one just like, I guess maybe for citizenship, mm -hmm. they had her born here and then she went back. Oh, cool. But yeah, being, um, being Italian also, yeah, I have so much pride for it. I struggle with it because of the same reasons that you said, our abrasiveness, our aggressiveness. My husband is still trying to understand it all, and especially coupled with being a New Yorker and my aggressiveness driving and yelling at people. <laughs> it's where I let it's where I let out. It's where I do my best work. I just <laughs> I just let it all out in the car, but I try not to do that when other people are in the car with me. Well, you also if you still are open to going there, you touched on your queerness and it being something you're proud of but also struggle with. Can you expand on that? I think because my queerness um, isn't so straightforward, like I like I, I only dated men for a while and then I only dated women for a while. And then all of a sudden I started wanting to date men again and just feeling really embarrassed by that. And then learning about non-binary people because, I mean, I knew about them, but I never really knew anyone that was non-binary. And now all of a sudden half my friends identify as non-binary. So now I'm here. I am. I'm attracted to women, non-binary people, trans people, um, men. Like it was really hard for a while. There's a lot of biphobia in the queer community, hmm. and even to this day, to this day, are you kidding? It's like I can't talk about it. Like it's past tense. Maybe like Gen Zers don't feel this, but in our generation, I definitely still feel that from people and hear that from people. Um, which really sucks. And so I, I think that that's the biggest part of my career. Like once I realized I was like women, like everything, it was a hot moment. I was so happy. But when I realized that that didn't mean I was no longer attracted to men and then it made me, and then I noticed non-binary people and trans people, like I was truly just attracted to all genders that became so much more complicated, but I, it wasn't even the non-binary people and trans people. It was literally the cis men that I was like, 
I was just embarrassed about like, and I got, I did get like hate from people, you know, I did experience people being like, well, I don't want to date you if, if you're bi. I don't want to date you if you like men. And it's just like, it's, it's a bummer. So that's where I struggled. What I do love, and you know, you've helped me get to this point because on your journey, I, I had a hard time understanding it a lot because I always knew you as one thing. And so watching you grow into this, I really, and I'm constantly trying to educate myself so that I can be a better ally, but I love where the term queer has gone because I feel like queer, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an encapsulating term that can mean many things. What I like about it is that it doesn't necessarily put you in a box. It's not like, you're gay, you're bi, you're queer. Like, you know, you know? like I, I feel like it allows you that fluidity just to go about life and like love who you want to love at whatever given moment. It doesn't like pigeonhole you into one identity. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely an umbrella term and it can mean your sexuality. It can mean your gender identity. It's it's all of the above. So if you say queer, like you could just leave it up to someone's imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if someone needs more details than that, well, that's getting personal and you, it's your right to answer them. But yeah, if you could be cis, I mean, I'm cis and I'm queer because I date, I, I identify as queer for me because that means that I date all genders. Um, also my gender expression like changes and I feel complicated about my gender. Um, so that to me falls under the queer umbrella. Um, but yeah, it's like the best word ever. It it really does um, say say everything. I remember I was written as like one of the new queer barbers, and I remember that my I had left the salon I was at, and the article came out, and Melissa had told me that one of her coworkers, who's an older gay man, was like, oh, "How dare they call her queer?" Because that at that point he thought queer was a derogatory term. So it was around then that I think, at least in my circles, the word had was starting to like, we were taking it back. But I'm sure even in the queer community, it was before then. You've had a lot of change and transformation in your life. But was there ever a decision that completely changed the trajectory of your life? I don't think there was one moment. Um... There's just a lot of little decisions, you know, like say when I decided to go to baddies, I started to open baddies instead of staying at the barbershop that I was at. That was, I guess that was really pivotal. Everything else feels like, oh, that would have happened anyway. That could have happened anyway. A lot of things out of my control. Like I got fired from TG and then they told me to go to Antonio Prieto. Remember that? Mm-hmm. A lot of things happened kind of go with the flow but opening the barbershop was like an, a, a choice like I could have stayed at where I was and just done that I guess that was like the one the biggest pivotal moment because the what do you call it the snowball that happened from there was just really unstoppable you became an entrepreneur at that point yes I, w- I went from an employee at someone else's dream to like creating my own I love that it makes me yeah. so happy for you. Yeah. yeah. That was, uh, I think, 
I don't know how people do it sometimes. Opening a business, there's so many little things that you don't think about, permits and rent and spaces and whatnot that go into it. So like, it's a freaking huge accomplishment. And I think, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, but I think your space is so needed and so appreciated by so many people. Thanks. Yeah, I, I agree. I really, I really do. Even though other places have come about, I do think Batty's is special. And... It is. Well, I like to circle back to my first question after having this exploration. So far, it hasn't gone the way that I thought it would with other interviews. But now that we've had all these conversations, do you still identify the same way? Is that how you would uh, introduce yourself? I will say, I think I would start with entrepreneur, business owner. Like, I think if I was to answer that question again, I wouldn't lead with Italian-American. Yeah, I think I would lead that way because I'm just, it, it really did make me reflect on like, what's happened? What's, what was pivotal in my life? And that's such a big part of who I am. And that might not always be like, I, you know, I'm in school now. I'll probably get a job as an acupuncturist. Like I, I'm not going to just go leave school and open up a practice. Like I want to learn under people. So the word entrepreneur might not always apply to me, but right now in this moment, it's on my brain all day, every day. And so I don't think I've gained an identity, but I definitely have reprioritized how I'm seeing myself in this conversation. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing yourself. I think this conversation was really fucking cool. And I think a lot of people will get a lot of validation and comfort and fun out of it. So thank you so much. Goodbye. I love you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Identity Shockwave podcast hosted by me, Lori Vaitzig. Catch us next time for a new episode with a different guest that is sure to keep the conversation interesting. A big thank you to Let Me Crazy for letting us use their music. I'll catch you later. Keep it back in the